Aloha and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we take our favorite books off the shelf, blow the dust off them, and remind ourselves why it is we love them so. I'm Tom Galley, and joining me today, we've got Tony Pasquale. Thanks again, Tom. Today, we're reading one of my selections, uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. And I believe this is our first Pulitzer Prize winner on the show. Probably. So if we read mostly genre fiction, it's amazing we stumbled into one at all. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so you picked this. Why, I did. Why is this a favorite? You know, I might have played a little loose with the definition <laughs> of favorite. I think that I have read it twice before uh, before this reading, which doesn't normally rise high enough on the meter. But it's something I've always wanted to read again, so I thought I'd just use that as an excuse to slip <laughs> it into the show. Fair enough. Um, I just remember enjoying it, you know, almost nonstop all the way through, it just being a, a, a consistently enjoyable read no matter where I was in the book. Um, Interesting. Which turned out not to quite be the case, uh, but it was still, you know, overall, you know, page after page, I found myself having a good time. Uh, Michael Michael Chabon is an interesting writer in that, for me, uh, he's, he's clearly brilliant and talented, and at the level of the individual sentence or character or paragraph, just, you know, unmatched. And then when it comes to putting together a whole story, that's where it kind of gets weird for me. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I describe this book as like a fractal. It's like, oh, you can just dive down an infinite depth, and he'll do that on any one thing. And yep. it's just like, why is this relevant, Michael Chabon? Does this have anything to do with the narrative <laughs> that we're currently exploring? Yeah. We, we, there are some <laughs> rabbit holes that get explored in surprising depth. I'm not going yeah. to deny that. But you're right. When you say, you know, on any individual character, any individual paragraph, um, you know, often when we're talking about books, there'll be a, a, a passage that really sticks with one of us, something where the language was just so magnificent it was worthy of note. I dare say I could open this book at random to any page and point at any paragraph and have that feeling. Yeah, um, the, I would, the I would language agree with you there. in this is just, you know, it's mind blowing. Um, Sometimes, yeah. I mean, some of it is. I, some of it, even at the sentence level, I'm just like, what? What are you doing, <laughs> Mister Fancy Pants, with your words like? Ullage and Tabaret and Cathected are just three that I highlighted. <laughs> he, he does push the limits of vocabulary. Yep. Or, or this is my favorite, simplest variations on the 22nd letter of the alphabet. And I had to sit there and put the book down and go, <laughs> is that you? Sing the song. Yeah. <laughs> can you not just say, can you just tell us what the letter is? Yeah. Clearly not. <laughs> So you like it because, no, you thought you liked it because it was riveting story all the way through. And this time you had a different experience. There are, well, as and you kind of alluded to it there, there are rabbit holes <laughs> that we spend a lot of time exploring the interior of that mm. I would just as happily move past. Um, and, and I think that were I to you know, read this four or five more times, that there might be segments that fall into the same categories as the songs in a Tolkien book. Um, mm. Things to be paged over to get back <laughs> yeah. to the, where the narrative resumes at the other, t other side, yeah. Um, so yeah, there were a few of those. And I didn't remember, you know, the, the section where um, we end up in Antarctica, I didn't remember that being so very blatantly out of place and weird as I it did. is. <laughs> um, in that, fact, I had kind of forgotten it existed at all. 
Oh, I remembered it. I've only read this book once before, but that's the place where the book just completely loses me. I'm like so on board for these for these uh, young Jewish men sort of doing their part to, you know, denounce Nazism through the pages of, you know, superhero comics. And then they actually get involved in the war and it just all goes sideways for me. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was definitely not what, uh, was it Joe that ended up in Antarctica? Uh, yeah, 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 Joseph. Yeah, um, ended up down there. It definitely was not what he had in mind either. Yes. You know, but it ended up being it. It reminded me of Lovecraft's The Mountains of Madness. Um, yeah. You know, where, where you end up with two people trying to make an impossible journey across the frozen wasteland in a plane that wasn't meant to do it. Um, that's been recovered in dog hide. Uh, yeah. for yeah. Pete's sake. Um, yeah, dog lovers, beware. Oh, um, yeah. you might want to skip that part of the book. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, although tame compared to Call of the Wild. Yes, White yes, Fang. Indeed. What did we read? We read White Fang. White, White Fang, yeah. White Fang, yep. Um, yeah, I. That part of the book was very interesting, and I could see it working as a standalone thing because it's fascinating as a, as a microcosm of the war of him just being stranded here, hearing an enemy over there. That enemy, meanwhile, is just some dude who got stuck in Antarctica like himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, I don't know, we don't know what his sympathies are, but he just seems like an average guy. And, and he's like, I have to kill that man. Uh, and he goes and he makes this impossible journey to kill this individual, even though it's outside his uh, orders entirely. He goes rogue mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, and then when he gets there and the guy doesn't want to kill him, but fires on him because he's he sent a message saying, I'm coming to kill you. Uh, and it's just this very personal, very intense, uh, very sad conflict uh, where, you know, he, he manages to kill the guy. And he's just like, that was not... It was completely unintentional. Yeah. Right? You know, his, his, in, his intentions at the last moment had changed. Yes. Um, you know, and he's, he's trying to surrender. He's got his arms inside his coat. He's trying to yeah. get his gun out so that he can, you know, surrender it so yeah. the German knows. And then, you know, the there's German a, fires a on scuffle and, and, and an accidental and... discharge worthy of, you know, Hollywood's finest moment. And, yeah. You know. So that, that is wonderful for itself. It's just like, you know, Michael Chabon's take on all war, although it's weird to attach it to this particular war, uh, which, you know, if, any, if ever there was a war that transcends the horrors of war uh, for, you know, a, a cause worth pursuing, it's, it's this one. But, um, but goodness gracious, it just seems so, like you say, jarring compared to the rest of the book. Yeah, it... it it's almost like he had this story lying around and was determined to use it somewhere. So he was going to shoehorn it into what was already a, a pretty long read. Um, yeah, I mean, that. Well, did you read the end notes on the book? I'm sure I did. Okay. Uh, so there's a. If the end notes start with, why are you still reading? This book is over. Uh, <laughs> and then there are several chapters that he cut out of the book that work as standalone stories. Uh, and it's that like. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, you may not have read it. Um, uh, I wonder if it's in this edition. I wonder if it's actually in the book that uh, I read it in. Yeah. I have an excerpt from the, You've got the Yiddish, Yiddish policeman, policeman in there. Author's note. It's not like me to skip oh, over stuff. I don't think you got it in this okay. edition. Okay, yeah. well, All good. Right. It's not my fault. Yeah. Then. <laughs> 
but he's got several deleted chapters which work as standalone stories. And I think that's how he works and mentally uh, is that he creates these standalone stories and he sort of strings them together. And and so when you're in one of the stories, you're like, this is amazing. And then when you pop back out, you're like, how does this sort of flow from, you know, right. it doesn't feel like a novel. So he says something in the author's note, which is, which I disagree with completely. <laughs> of all the tricks played by storytellers on their willing victims, the cheapest is, this, is the deception known in English as the end. An ending is an arbitrary thing, an act of cowardice or fatigue, an expedient disguised as an aesthetic choice, or worse, a moral commentary on the finitude of life. Endings are as imaginary as the equator or the poles. They draw a line, mark a point that is present nowhere in the creation they purport to reflect and explain. That explains so much to me about his writing. <laughs> so he would literally be a never-ending story. Exactly, right? just yeah. Well, whereas, whereas I'm the opposite. A narrative is defined by its path from the beginning to the end. That's what makes it a story. And that's why this doesn't work as a story for yeah. me. Well, I think there are, you know, <laughs> what is it, six components in this book? Yeah, six six distinct areas. Um, you know, escape artist, a couple of boy geniuses, etc. So yeah. you know, each of those does have something of a of an overarching narrative, and then they're kind of yeah. strung together loosely, in that they chronologically follow one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much evolutionarily, but uh, but they don't they don't hang together. For me, they don't hang together in a satisfying narrative. And obviously, obviously, people wiser than me disagree. Yeah, won a Pulitzer Prize, but uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the uh, one of the things that I remember striking me striking me somewhere around the time I read the book the first time, either just before or just after, I had coincidentally watched a, a documentary that had Stan Lee reflecting on his career, um, and it is almost beat for beat the same story that's told in the the first two books of Cavalier and Clay here. Interesting, um, you know the. Um, Penniless in New York, uh, uh, squatting in a flat with friends, um, seizing a moment to miraculously cram out a comic book, being mm -hmm. exploited by a, you know, I mean, it's like beat for beat. This is the Stanley story almost. Yeah. Um, Although Stanley has a cameo in this book, he, so he one does. assumes there's yeah. you know some communication between the two. Uh, I assume he draws a lot from Simon and I want to say Simon and Schuster, Simon and Siegel, who are the guys that created Superman. Oh, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> Siegel is one of them. Uh, I want to say Simon & Schuster, but that's the publisher. So no, it's not that. But two, two, uh, two Jewish uh, boys, men, who created this superhero uh, and then were similarly exploited and then got their name reattached to stuff later on. Um, yeah, it's... It's a great, that part of the story is the part that I find most fascinating about this whole book, yeah. that whole comic book creation. I love that. I love the character of the escapist. Uh, I love... Um, well, the fact that he was able to come up with a Superman who wasn't Superman, yeah. I thought was, was fantastic. And I'm sad to think that the, that the escapist didn't really exist. Yeah. Well, he does now. There have been escapist comics published. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, post, I can't say posthumously, post novelistly. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Out of, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, this is, a, this is a thing that was funny to me. I didn't realize until just now that escapist works on two levels, uh, that they are literally creating escapist literature. Oh, 
Yeah. 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 You're right. <laughs> Brilliant. Bravo, yeah. sir. Yeah. There's so much overlap with real world stuff too in this that that's kind yes. of delightful. Um, the thing with was it Salvador Dali in the diving suit? Oh yeah. Did um, you look that up? Is that a real incident? It is an almost real incident. He okay. did, in fact, appear in public. Uh, it was at some sort of art lecture. It was not at a cocktail party. Uh-huh. Um, and he did indeed almost die in the suit because he didn't realize he needed something to pump air into it. So there was no mechanism <laughs> that broke down. He simply sealed himself in this suit and then proceeded to quietly suffocate. And the people who watched him thought Artists. his pantomimes were just part of whatever <laughs> artist's statement he was making. So then he was indeed saved by an onlooker. Wow, um, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. Yeah, so there's, there's, yeah. A, there's touches of truth all through this. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, tragic parallels to reality also because this takes place in the lead-up to World War II mm-hmm. and during World War, and uh, Joseph Cavalier loses his entire family in the war. Incrementally. Incrementally, which you know? is just horrible. Uh, and so I was actually in Europe while I was reading this book, and while I was in uh, London, I saw a couple plays that touched on the Holocaust. Uh, unintentionally, it's not, this is not subject matter that I seek out. It's so <laughs> grim and so dark, and I was already dealing with it in this book. And it's like, oh, there's a David Tennant play. I'll go see that. Oh, it's about a man who becomes a Nazi. Great. Uh, and then there's a Tom Stoppard play, and Tom Stoppard's my favorite playwright. But this is the play about how Tom Stoppard lost his entire family in World War II. It's just like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then uh, I was in Krakow for the weekend, and, of course, the main attraction there is uh, Auschwitz. Mm. Yeah. well, and attraction like, in Auschwitz should not I, be in the I same sense. I know. Sentence. It's like you go, it's like, what's there to do in this town? Well, first on your list should be Auschwitz. And it's like, no. So I didn't go, but I did go see the Schindler Museum uh, from Schindler's List, which has been, you know, the factory's been turned into a museum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 But, yeah, he loses, I mean, in one sense, he loses his family initially because they try to get him out. Yes. Um, and unsuccessfully so. He finds himself completely alone, but unable to get out of the country despite all of the bribes and the permits and everything. Right? So yeah. they have to smuggle him. Uh, so that's that's our first escape. Um, and he gets out crammed into a coffin with the golem. The golem, yeah. You know, not any golem, the golem, you know, <laughs> yeah. which was apparently kicking around and, you know, still in good enough shape that it could pass as a human corpse. Um, and then I, I do love the fact that the golem returns to him at the end after having been just beaten around the world, you know, from luggage yeah. port to luggage port and trying to chase down this elusive person. And then he writes that 5,000-page epic about the golem. Yeah. Yep. Which is grounds to, you know, continue the book. So I, I can see what he's talking about not having an ending there because I kind of <laughs> wanted to see where that went, you know. They're going to yeah. spend his life savings to repurchase the publishing company and yeah. come out with a graphic novel about the golem. Yeah. That would have been a story. Yeah, so, yeah, so it, it raises the question of why did he stop where he stopped? I mean, you know, he could have stopped later. He could have stopped earlier. Yeah. Uh, he does come full circle around to, I mean, there's definitely the escape theme that ties through because Joseph is an escapist. And I think we, now I don't remember. It's been so long since I read the book. Do we start, is Joseph the first character or is uh, Sammy the first character? Do we start I with I think the, we start with Sammy. We start with Sammy, yeah, okay. 
and his and his weird cousin from Prague is, is coming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sammy's mom is quite a character. <laughs> yeah, she is. Just so unflinching. Move over. <laughs> Your cousin is coming. What? Yeah. <laughs> Here you are sharing a bed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then we dive into the cousin's backstory, which is his uh, his learning to become an escape artist under who's it? Cornblum, Cornbluth, Cornblum, yeah, Cornblum, yeah. Uh, and his first failed attempt, where he just he just commits so hard to the bit, uh, he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw myself into this river, and he nearly dies doing it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's good that we come back around to we get the escapist character based on inspired by that, and we have the whole, they're separated by war. And we get the whole living, the people who are left all sort of reunite at the end under, uh, sort of tragically reunite. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, in, in that sense, you had to have Joe go away, whether it was going off yes. to war or whatever. You had to have Joe go away for the rest of that false structure to shape itself, you know, yeah. for, for Sammy to step in and act as father to, to Joe's child, for him to pretend to be a husband to Joe's yeah. girl. Um you know, and this is going to sound weird since literally half the book is about him. I wish they had explored Sammy a little more. Because um, yeah. Sammy tends to be there often as a foil against which Joe gets displayed. Um, you know, but we've got a kid that's a polio survivor here that every once in a while they mention his weak legs. But other than that, they, they don't really explore yeah. it. We've got a character that's... And who is gay in the 40s. Struggling with, yeah, <laughs> with, with homosexuality at a time when, hey, it's not okay. And yeah. He's got no sort of role model, no way to understand what it is that, what he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there could have been more there, and I, I wouldn't have minded there being more there. I would have read, you know, another 200 pages if it was giving yeah. us a little more about that. Yeah, and we do start with him. He's, the, he's our kickoff character, and you think he's a protagonist, but, you know, uh, clearly Joe takes over the book. Yeah. yeah. And he does get top billing, I guess, on the, in the title, so... Yeah, so I like that it comes back to comics at the end, you know, and Joe buys the company and he has this epic and, you know, Sam's not excited about it. Sam Sam leaves at the end, right? He goes to L.A. Uh, I can't remember now. I don't think we actually get around to him leaving. I, the, I think the last scene, is, it's been a few weeks since I put yeah. the book down, but I think the last scene is they're trying to figure out collectively what the future will be. And I think that Sammy's mm-hmm. intention is to leave. Yeah. Um, you know, and Joe's intention is to you know rejoin his family with the the wife and son who knows more than they think he knows. Yeah, which is usually the case with kids, I think. Which is which is a weirdly bittersweet ending for me. It's like I'm happy that you know uh, Joe and Rosa get back together and live with his son, and that's great, and that's sort of a happy union. But I don't think of them as the primary couple. Cavalier and Clay mm-hmm. are the primary couple, and they're they're going to split. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's weird. That's it would have been yeah. It would have been nice to see them, you know, moving forward as a throuple and maybe bringing in <laughs> someone else into the household for Sammy to have, you know, yeah. to have and hold. So you know, we have a very non-traditional, non-nuclear, but comic book generating family. Yeah. Yeah. Which would only confirm what all of the uh, what the far right and the religious people were accusing <laughs> them of. That was a fun episode. Is the whole trial and the the, the bit about McCarthy the seduction thing, of the innocent? Yeah. yeah. I don't. Did did you read a lot of comics as a kid? I was I was not a huge comic follower. You know, I had a, a small collection of like twenty or thirty, and I would buy one from time to time. But I never really dove into them, which I, has come back to haunt me in my adult <laughs> life now. <laughs> How's that? I got to follow up on that. Well, I mean, just you know, 
like going to see the latest uh, Marvel movie, um, you know, and then walking out of it and having friends who are discussing, you know, in in depth yeah. um, how this diverges from the established canon and well, how are they going to make up for this and where are they heading because of the 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 way that you know, and I was like. I just saw a really good movie that I had. Well, okay. I just saw a really enjoyable movie, yeah. and I just want to enjoy it, you know, without pulling I, it apart like that. I don't think you're missing anything. I was I was very much into comics, but uh, I was forbidden for a long time to buy them because of the, you know, pernicious nonsense that was being spread around about the dangers of comics to youth. And uh, as my parents said, you know, and my parents were like, you can read anything you want. Except comic books. It's like, come on, <laughs> These man. are the same people that let you have the run of the science fiction section, exactly. not realizing. Not realizing, yeah, yeah, that the science fiction section was much worse than anything you've ever seen in a comic book. Which we can yeah. discuss a bit in the next <laughs> next edition, actually. Yeah. Yes, we will. It's a preview. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so this, you know, and, and you're right. In a way, as a continuous narrative, it doesn't hang. Um, there, there are definitely some divergences in here. But again, on a page-by-page basis... Um, it's so it just never disappointed, yeah. you know. It is it is heavy going though for me. I'm so driven by narrative and what I like to read. And all my when I pick up a book, what I'm looking for is an engaging story and characters that carry that story, and that's what I want. And and if your sentences are just you know not perfect, you know, I'm a big fan of Dan Brown. I, people hate on Dan Brown, but oh my God, can you write a page turner? Yeah, <laughs> even if you can't write a sentence, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and Michael Chabon is kind of the opposite of that. So, oh, it was such a rewarding book. It's so, so good. But it took me, it took me a month to read it. Yeah, this was a <laughs> slow read for me. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a large-ish book, but it's not yeah. monstrous. It's, it's like 600 pages, 637 pages. Oh, there you go, 637 pages. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not an epic. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just a limit to how many pages you can consume in a setting. And you just yes. need to process. You need some rim sleep in there to filter the images, yeah? Yeah. And it doesn't read fast if you're looking up, you know, what words mean or having to go back and parse something or think about the implications of it, you yeah. know, and which I, some people, I think, love that. They're just like, oh, yeah, I just want just to chew on this. I want to read one paragraph at a time with a cup of espresso and just, like, relish it. And that's not how I read, yeah. So I had that uh, way back when I was an undergrad um, – well, I'm sorry, but because in a grad, um, I was working with a professor, and we decided we were going to explore Capital, Karl Marx's huh. uh, original piece, because both of us thought, hey, this is something we should probably read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought I knew what the word deep meant. Um, <laughs> it's literally the sort of thing where you'd spend four hours on a paragraph trying to, to parse what it is he's trying to say, and then another hour after that trying to figure out how that fit into the previous paragraphs. You know, so after about two or three weeks, we looked at each other and, and yeah. quietly, without words, agreed that we would try something <laughs> lighter. That's honestly how I feel about Shakespeare. I mean, I know people who read Shakespeare for pleasure, and and I do not, despite running a Shakespeare festival. So this, this from the man who <laughs> runs a Shakespeare exactly. festival, committed to producing every Shakespeare oh, Shakespeare play yeah. in, in yeah. rotation. Yeah. Uh, and but what's great about Shakespeare because it's so rewarding to do that kind of deep dive on it, but it's not rewarding to do it as a reading experience for me. For some yeah. people, it is. But when you're taking apart for rehearsal then it's like, ah, that work pays off. It's like that understanding translates into something. Yeah, it's like I can use my knowledge of this to uh, affect the staging or to inform the characters or to da 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 
which I don't infor- I don't find that fun while I'm reading. And just just, <laughs> just give it to me, man. Yeah. Well, generally speaking, I really enjoy reading a physical book, um, but this this is one of the things that. I kind of wish I had picked up the Kindle for it, um, in part because of the vocabulary um, and in part because of the ability to take notes as I move through it. Meanwhile, I, when I walked in here and saw your physical copy of this book, said, oh, my God, yes, this is a book that should be read as a book. I mean, look at that cover. It's just so evocative of, yeah, of comic books. Yeah, it is a beautiful it's, cover. It really is. And this particular book, not that anyone can see it. I mean, you can see that this is a, a well, you know, Hannah and I have shared this book many times. And yeah. you can see the, well the coffee worn. stains and the, the dog oh, and earring. Oh, look at that back cover. Is that, a, is that like an ad from the comic it's book? It's like an ad from a comic That's book. That's amazing. Like the, the novelty so ad from the yeah. company that started it all. I love that. Yeah, the whole style of this cover is just gorgeous. I mean, it's the kind of book you want on your shelf. Yep. So you hear it, readers. If you're looking to read this, maybe you should pick up the hard copy, but keep a dictionary close at hand. Yeah, definitely. An unabridged dictionary close at hand. There's there's some (laughs) really out-of-the-way words in here. Yeah, the Oxford English Dictionary may be close at hand because, wow, yeah. What were those that you highlighted again? Ollage was one, and... I can't even remember what it is now. <laughs> I was about uh, that was my follow-up question. Uh, that's kind of a that's kind of a cheat though because this comes the context of this is someone was dreaming and in her dreams a puzzling lexicon that included quote, words such as grampus, ullage, parbuckle and some entirely fictitious words such as lubin and selactor. Uh, so Okay, so that was not actually slipped into the context of a sentence with expectation yeah. you would understand it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, tabaret was, uh, and a tabaret is a low stool or table. A tabaret, tabaret, tabaret. And cathected, which I think is a word I've heard before. The cathected cream, the cream of cathected young Prague, uh, which doesn't show up in my dictionary. So. <laughs> We're Googling. Yeah. Cathect. To focus one's emotional energies on someone or something. Okay. There we go. Great. <laughs> and now we have to struggle to see, okay, how does that fit in there? Yeah. All right. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll actually dock a couple of points for the, <laughs> for the esoteric words there. Uh, you know, if you're reading Shabon, that just comes with the territory. You just got to... That's how we write. Have you read Yiddish Policeman's Ball? You know, I thought Union? that yeah. I had, but looking through the, the sample chapter included in this book, it was completely unfamiliar. So I'm it's guessing a, I have not. It's a weird little mystery. Uh, if you like this, you might like that, although it doesn't deal with the comic book stuff at all. Uh, it is kind of science fiction. It takes place in an alternate sort of timeline thing. Uh, it's shorter. It's quite a bit shorter than this. I think it's the <laughs> shortest novel but it, it is, if anything, even more dense and rich with vocabulary. Um, so, yeah. So if you enjoy that experience, that's where you should go next. I'll have to see what I can do about getting a bedside <laughs> dictionary. To, or maybe I could just use a Kindle or a phone as a dictionary. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Because holding a dictionary in bed is, is no. yeah, an awkward experience. Yeah. There was something. Oh, yeah. I wanted to, when we were talking briefly about the... Um, you know, the, the persecution of the, the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really the moment when Sammy gets outed, you know, as being a homosexual and even to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the series of questions and, and accusations are made, which we don't get to hear, right? But we get to see him wandering out of the courtroom dazed. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we 
or privy to his inner reflections later, um, he gets ambushed in such a way that not only, you know, are they castigating the, the industry, but they're forcing him to face truths about himself that he was not prepared to face. Yeah. And that, uh, that really just struck me as sad. I mean, it's, it's sad that, you know, a person could find no acceptance for something like that. Um, which, okay, 1940, this, this is the way of it. But to, to be in a courtroom, in a public courtroom, to have it thrown in your face like that, to have that moment of self-realization while you were testifying, yeah. um, how soul-crushing. Yeah, it's interesting. I, what I took away from that, which is interesting, is that sort of, I felt like there was an understanding that people knew about him, but it was just kind of like a an unspoken thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. we know, but we don't talk about it. And but so, in a sense, he was out, but he wasn't publicly out. But there's such a huge gulf between your intimate circle knowing and the world knowing and labeling you, especially labeling you scornfully. Uh, yep. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, yes, those closest to him probably understood. Yeah. Um, I don't think he did. You know, despite the interactions he had had with... Bacon? Uh, Bacon, yeah. yeah. How could I forget the name Bacon? <laughs> um, you know, but I don't... You know, after Bacon left... Or after he didn't go with Bacon, yeah. Um, which again, another sad moment there. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just didn't feel like he had ever made peace with himself, um, and then suddenly he's forced to confront this thing in, in quite conceivably the worst way possible. You know, publicly in front of television cameras, on trial in a courtroom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How awful to be on trial for something that you haven't sort of resolved for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because if you know, then you can you can stand up and say yes, f you. But oh, sorry, listeners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and if you and if you know the opposite, then you can go, no, you're wrong. But to be sort of indeterminate about the thing and be accused of it, it's just like ah, uh, you can't defend yourself, uh, but you can't embrace it either. Uh, yeah, very yeah. Just a, a one of many heartrending moments in there. Yeah, you know, but we get this one from Sam. We get several of those from Joe. Poor Joe. Yeah, uh, how does he have any heart left? Uh, I highlighted something for, just sort of. This is this is late in the book, like about a hundred pages from the end, uh, and it just sort of sums up Joe's experience so far. Having lost his mother, father, brother, and grandfather, the friends and foes of his youth, his beloved teacher Bernard Kumblum, uh, his city, his history, his home. Uh, the usual charge leveled against comic books that they offered merely an easy escape from reality seemed to Joe actually to be a powerful argument on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah, but it just but just to sum up all of his loss as a preface to that thing about comic books is like, yeah, he's he's lost everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And after so much effort. Yeah. After so much. Energy and rage and dedication, yeah. you know, poured into trying to save just one of them. Yes, um, I know. Oh, that uh, losing his brother—that's the most heartbreaking thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also love. There's a line where they say, you know, he he jumps ship when he's supposed to be. They find him in the Antarctic. They bring him back, nurse him back to health, and they're going to bring him home. But he jumps ship. And it's like, why would he do that? I mean, he survived the war, and now he can go home. He has no home. He has no home. He He's has got no family Sammy to return and Rosa, to. You know that? Yeah. Does he though? He doesn't know that. He abandoned yeah. them. He walked out on them. That's true. He did walk out of them. And he, so, he, again, I don't think he ever processed what uh, what Rose or what he meant to Rosa. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think she processed what he meant to her until it was too late. There's a lot of that going on in this. There is. Yeah, it was a, man, it was a tough time. It was a tough time. We are lucky to have missed it. Yeah. I agree. All right. Anything else? I got I nothing know. else. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, for almost 700 pages of densely written <laughs> novel, it seems like we should go into some. I don't know, though. I mean, you know, with, without just diving in on a chapter by chapter or something basis, um, I enjoyed reading it. Um, As did I. My, my recollections of it weren't quite accurate in places, but that's fine. That's part of why we revisit these things, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, so if anyone out there was debating picking up a copy of this, do it. Absolutely read it. Two thumbs up. All right. So what have we got coming up next? Coming up next, we have one of my favorite books uh, by one of my favorite authors, Titan by John Varley, the possibly greatest science fiction epic which has never been made into a movie. <laughs> we're, we're actually going to try something new on this one. We're, we're going to dive through the entire trilogy. Um, right. And spread it out over three episodes for your, your listening uh, pleasure there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have not read... I read the series, I think, in late high school or early college, and I haven't touched it since. So. Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. That's going to be exciting for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you all in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs>